Hi, I'm Matt Rowley and welcome to a special edition Green and Gold Rugby podcast with head coach of the Melbourne Rebels, Tony McGann. You can hear more podcasts from Green and Gold Rugby either at our website, greenandgoldrugby.com, or on SoundCloud and look for Green and Gold Rugby channel. So joining me now, I've got uh, Tony McGann, head coach of the Melbourne Rebels. Mate, how are you? Hey, Nathan. Good, mate. Look, so how how are you finding settling into Melbourne? Have you lived down there before at all? No, no I haven't lived down here before. Been down a few times, like most people down to uh, watch Aussie Rules or family or, or anything like that. So, but look, we've enjoyed. It's been great. And the last two days, we've had two uh, days with sun out, so it's been fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been better than Sydney of late. But, um, mate, so and have you got? Is your, is your family down there? And are you guys all kind of settling in and stuff? No, I'm just down here by myself at this point in uh, time. I uh, I came down August 1 uh, to start and sort of had a seven-week block there and then uh, players had annual leave, so I went back to Brisbane for four weeks to catch up with the family and then uh, came back down after that and been down here for the last five weeks and sort of making my way back uh, every sort of second weekend at this stage and with uh, the family to arrive uh, January 4th just after Christmas, which will be uh, fantastic. Okay. Yeah, well, so I guess that leaves you with nothing to do but work at the moment, so you're probably uh, hitting it pretty hard, eh? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, look, it's always, it's always a busy season, any time for any sort of professional sport through the off-season, and uh, you know, we have a lot of new staff here, and they're, they're, they're uh, wife, uh, no wives and no kids, so it's sort of been a great opportunity for everyone to get stuck in and get a lot of work done at this, this stage of the season. Okay, mate. Well, look, before we start talking about the Rebels, I just wanted to maybe go back in time a little bit. And for those yeah. people who might not know uh, a bit of your background, how did you first get into coaching? What, what was the transition for you? Did you go from playing or was it from something else? Yeah, look, I, yeah, I, had a, I played a bit and then I ended up uh, going back and, and, and teaching at uh, Nudgee College in Brisbane where I went to school and, um, you know, started coaching with regard to the first 15 there and uh, just basically worked my way through, you know, various schools. I went to Churchy uh, Anglican Church Grammar School and Coach Fest had been there, and then um, a few rep sites, uh, you know, through the way through Queensland School Boys Australia A, etc. And then uh, went back and coached club at the same time with East in Brisbane, at um, along with Churchy at the same time, which was busy plus teaching. Mm-hmm. And then uh, lucky enough to get up with the Australian 19s and uh, the Queensland A program. Uh, to play a role in that and then ended up at uh, IBM in Japan for a year and then lucky enough to get to Munster and uh, from there back to Wallabies and there to the Rebels. So, uh, yeah, probably 1996, so a long time ago at this stage, it seems to uh, have gone quickly like most good things. Yeah. So, mate, I mean, you were a key part of that trend of uh, Aussie coaches uh, in Ireland. Um, how do you feel about that as a, as a, as a pathway? What, what, what are the kind of benefits that you've seen out of that? In, in Ireland, well, look, I, will, I was just really lucky. That was a good timing for, for me. Graham uh, Stedman was the uh, defence coach at that stage, a, a ex-league uh, player, and 
he'd been seconded to the Irish uh, national side, and uh, I was lucky enough uh, to be in there at the right time. So, you know, Ireland and Australia got a great affinity across many areas, whether it's uh, you know culturally, socially uh, is a big one, obviously, and uh, you know, travelling both both ends. You know, Australians over to Europe and certainly Irish uh, migration over back over to Australia for the last few years, anyway. So. Mm. Um, I was really lucky, and there's a lot of Australians over there. Obviously, you know, Leslie Kiss is there, Matt Williams has been there, uh, Jim Williams has had an association, Alan Gaffney. So, you know, Australian rugby, you know, both from the professional era, and a lot of players have played over there, you know, in the amateur era as well. So I think there's a great affinity, and certainly from my learning experience and time there, it was, uh, you know, very enjoyable. Okay. So, mate, look, focusing on the job you've got at hand now down at the Rebels, um, so what are your priorities going to be with the Rebels this year? Well, look, as, as, you know, the Rebels only been going three years as, as well now, and so there's been a huge turnover of, of players and staff, and, you know, playing-wise, I think there's four players from the original group that's put together with, with Rod McLean, and then, you know, 15 leaving from last year was leaves us with 20, so there's a huge turnover of player personnel. I think... You know, a lot of good things have been put in place, but I think our main direction at this stage is really, you know, our defence has been a really big focus for us mm-hmm. uh, over this pre-season and certainly fitness, you know, because I think, you know, watching a lot of the games there last year and, and recounting them, you know, in our reviews with the other coaches there, that you know, the Rebels did play, you know, some really good rugby with the ball in hand, but certainly, you know, stopping the opposition is an area that we can, you know, certainly... Uh, improve on and you know that those sort of theories are continually ongoing to improve on that so mm-hmm. that and the breakdown are our two big areas and we think we get those two things nailed down with you know really strong work ethic in our fitness and our work rate that you know we'll be able to add and continue to you know add parts to our attack but they're probably the three main things fitness breakdown and certainly our defense and with the defense so obviously you've gone back and done a lot of analysis around it is it a systems thing? Is it a head and a heart thing or a combination? Where have you kind of put your finger down having had a look at the tapes and the numbers? Yeah, look, I think systems and, you know, what what uh, previous, you know, obviously with Nathan and, you know, John Numbleton, two, two very good coaches in their own right and two very good defence coaches. It's just a, a major area we could have picked to tackle or anything, but that's probably the one that, that uh, you know, stands out for us at this point in time. So it's not really a system thing. It's just really... You know, being able to put time into it and be able to make sure that's a real clear focus and the players understand that from an attitudinal thing, mm-hmm. you know, as a group and as individuals and, you know, it's going to be a big part of our selection process as well that, you know, you, you need to contribute in that area and a lot of those areas in defence aren't real talent areas. They're more about work rate and attitude and maybe putting your body and head in some tough places. So we need to get a, you know, recognise that mm-hmm. and recognise how important it is because it gives us a really strong base like all winning sides, and we really need to make that a focus point for us. Okay. So if you were to describe the Rebels' playing style, if it all goes well this year, you know, what's it going to look like? Well, we're, we're, a, bit like, we're a bit like, you know, most, most sides and most sports. The, the big thing is, you know, rugby at the moment is being able to win that breakdown area. So that really comes off the back of that, you know, really depends on how well you can play. You know, mm-hmm. you can have the the best plans of what you're going to get done, but if you're continually playing a slow ball, fractured ball, uh, or turning the ball over the opposition where they've got more ball than you, mm-hmm. you're going to be in trouble. So, you know, for us, we're really starting from the breakdown and working backwards from there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we saw last year, we've got some really exciting players there, the Englishes, Woodwards, 
Eagan Bottoms, Sturzakers, etc. You know, they've got some real play in them. And, you know, Tommy Kingston coming in the play, Lepetti uh, Tamani coming in. You know, these guys with quick ball on the back of that. Mm. You know, we need to add a lot of shape. There'll be certainly shape there. But, you know, if we get, get our black down stuff well and done correctly, then we're going to provide some great opportunities for those guys to really, um, you know, express themselves. So, mate, there seems to be people have kind of coaches put in two buckets the the coaches who say look uh we play a certain way and if we play that way well enough no one will be able to keep up with us another set of coaches who kind of say well actually i like to be able to adapt what i do depending on the opposition and you know be able to play at least a couple of different ways maybe more where's your head in all of that you know do you get well, I, yeah look i think you know, i'm pretty you know uh, in my my work we're pretty we'll, we'll do what we do and You'll have to stop us is what we're really looking at. We'll have slight adaptations that you do, but, mm. you know, I think those things sound great in theory and they sound great, you know, watching NFL and watching sides being able to master that, um, you know, every week with a different game plan, a different approach. You know, I think generally you have a really strong fundamental base of what you base your game on, um, you know, both through the core areas of your game and the way that you set up your attack and defence and your breakdown structures and I think you've got slight tweaks and then week to week depending on opposition. Yeah. But I think generally it's your formations and your belief in that and that's what you practice all the way through the pre-season and we're changing week to week on core areas. Um, you know, for us anyway, we want to send a strong message and one that's uh, consistent and for us we'll be worrying about ourselves and what we're going to deliver. So that sounds like a hell of a lot like uh, how Munster have done things and they haven't done too badly. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, you look at, uh, you know, a lot of successful sides in the past, you know, they've really, you know, got their own game in, in place and I think that really makes it easy for the players that they've got a, a same message and a same philosophy and you're giving the same work and same feedback back all the time that you can just concentrate on yourselves, mm. you know, without being worried about the opposition. Sure, they'll, they'll deliver, but, you know, if we do our things right on both sides of the, of the ball then more times than not you're going to get that and saves that learning time and training time at the same time. So just staying on the talking about kind of Irish rugby for a second, obviously there was a good win for the Wallabies on the weekend. With your knowledge of Irish rugby and the players who are on the park there, when you watched the game, what do you think the Wallabies, what did the Wallabies do that worked so well tactically? Were there any key bits that you thought, oh yeah, they, they did their homework there and they've done a good job? Yeah, look, I was really, you know, to be honest, I was a pretty surprised by the, by the score line. I, I think, you know, the Island side currently is a really good side. They've got a really good coaching team there with Les Kiss. Um, you know, Plumtree's in there and obviously, you know, Joe, Joe Smith at the top there. They've got a really good coaching team. They've got a, a really good group with some young players coming in, some really good middle, uh, middle-aged and experienced players with the Piro Mays have been around for, you know, three or four years now and then the older brigade. Uh, you know, additional C-steps. So I was expecting, you know, a really, uh, you know, good game and a really good progressive game from the Samoa game from the Irish side. And, you know, mm. pretty disappointed. But I think, you know, Australia and the Wallabies and Ewan and the, and the coaching playing group leaders in particular need to take a lot of credit. That's a really uh, big win over there, you know, especially Ireland home. They played with a lot of passion. They've been very confident going into the game. But I think... Again, I think, you know, the Australian side certainly backed themselves on the area that they wanted to. I think you saw the ball getting to the, you know, the, the last 15 metres on the width side of the field, you know, really well and consistently, and they have some really good depth, and, you know, only comes with line speed, but a lot of, uh, you know, second-phase play, 
and bought out the back really, you know, you've got Fardy Moore and these sort of guys really punching on. I thought they were they really got their angles and timing done well. I thought mm. their breakdown work again was um, you know, well led by the Ford pack and I thought Benny Moen and and uh, Michael Hooper in particular uh, were excellent in that. And I thought there was, you know, their best defence display for a while, which really again gave them a really strong cornerstone and they forced a lot of turnovers. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, so good defence Good turnovers and that really made Ireland, I think, kick under pressure. Mm. And I thought Israel was absolutely fantastic at the back. It's been uh, you know, a, a long way to have someone back there can really come forward and, and take that ball, which really allowed them on that front foot inside the island, you know, uh, defending area to launch another attack there. So I think those are the four key areas. And obviously, off the back of a, a good set piece. So I'm really interested in your opinion on this because it's a it's a big discussion point with the guys who comment on the on the green and gold rugby is around Michael Hooper, and I think a lot of mm. people are probably used to seeing Australian sevens really of the jackling style, um, mm. you know, with the Pocock and uh, George Smith before him and and these sorts of guys, um, and Hooper doesn't seem to quite fit that mould mm. yet. Any coach who can get his hands on him in the last couple of years has wanted to play him. What are they seeing? What are these coaches seeing that maybe, um, you know, some of some of us uh, uh, couch potatoes aren't? Mm. Well, I think, you know, you just, you just look at Michael's progression over the last couple of years. I think he was, you know, under 20 player of the year, Australian under 20 player of the year, rookie of the year last year, and international player of the year this year. Like, you don't get those three things with... with Without consistency and a, and, a, and a fair bit of talent, but I think the thing that Michael has, I think he's got a wonderful demeanour. He is, you know, a, a player who really learns very quickly. He really puts a lot of work back into his game, and you know, I think you summed it up really well that we're probably being spoilt and certainly have a certain, uh, you know, typical player that we seem to look at what a seven brings. You know, mm. with those players you've mentioned before. And Michael's a very uh, intelligent guy, not to say the other guys aren't, but he certainly brings different levels. He's probably not as hard on the ball as what other players are, but what he brings, you know, through his uh, through his power, through his running game, through his length with the power and forwards, kick chase, you know, he's still, you know, obviously very good at the breakdown on both sides of the ball, but I think his ability to improve and be able to play that power game you know, on, on both sides, instead of just getting big and being big and lock onto the ball and stay there. Mm. You know, I think his ability to be able to shoot in low on his breakdown work on, on the attack side and defensively, he's so good on the inside, whether he's the first inside or second inside, to really, you know, take advantage of slow inside support and really put himself in a great position. So I think he really covers probably a lot more areas than probably being really dominant at one area. And I think, you know, his person is a pretty... Uh, Customer, he, uh, you know, he doesn't give too much away, but he's uh, he's learning on the job all the time. Really takes a great interest in his opposition players and you know the players that have gone on before him. Okay, so mate, I just wanted to take you to your time as an international coach and ask you, I guess, a pretty broad question. Um, if there was any sort of lesson that you took away from from that stint, you know, what would it be for you personally? Well, I, I think certainly being in a national uh, environment was, was excellent for me as a coach from a learning experience. It certainly narrows the focus on what you need to be good at. You know, you don't have a lot of preparation time and, you know, really getting the core fundamentals that don't really, really change. And I think people would be surprised. You know, you don't get a lot of training time. You sort of, you know, Monday, Monday back be a bit of organisation. You get a bit of team stuff. 
on uh, Tuesday, some units work, and then Thursday it's uh, train again. So I was looking after defence. So you might have, you know, 35 minutes maybe for the week. You know, 40 minutes to to get things in place to be able to play. You know, with the, with maybe uh, you know a week's lead in at some stage. So to really narrow the focus and really understand what works and trust the players that are coming from good backgrounds, and you're really you know relying on those provincial coaches or mm. uh, uh, that to have. A lot of that groundwork done. You, you're there to put some systems in place, run a really good environment, and be able to back the players to be able to do that. So it's more the off-field things and be able to get information through through meetings and you know certainly setting a standard with regard to how the players approach playing for the Wallabies and you know the environment that they want to create are really important um, parts of uh, you know the whole the holistic approach to the program more so than some of the on on-field stuff. They need a direction to go, but you know, you need to back the other areas to make sure that you set up a really good platform and environment for them to succeed. Yeah. So, I mean, you've touched you've touched on it there. I guess it's the big talking point of the moment, which is the whole... The, people are calling it the first 15, um, you know, over the, over there in Dublin um, sort of overnight. Is, is that a hard thing to kind of balance out when you're coaching a group of, you know, adult men like that and you're on, especially if you're on tour i mean you know is is it a is it a tough thing to get right you know lenient you know letting giving people a bit of time off the leash with their responsibilities yeah look i think it just depends on how it, how it's how it's all set up and how it's uh, how it's discussed and how it's portrayed and you know people know exactly where they stand and you know i i've only just I heard about it this morning. I haven't really read anything about it, and people have been talking about it, so I don't have a lot of information of the how, when, and the inside of, of what actually occurred. But I think if everyone's on the same page and very clear of expectations, and you know, reading what's uh, you know you went first words on it, I think that was really clearly explained, and I think all he's done is just followed up on it, and I think they've done a fantastic job. Okay. So, mate, um, the other last question I was just going to ask you is still back in that international level. I mean, just thinking back on your time there with around the Lions, obviously, and mm-hmm. um, an incredibly tight, you know, it couldn't have been tighter, really, of a, of a series up until the last 30 minutes. And I think I was even at the ground, and I think we're all mm-hmm. on the edge of our seats thinking, geez, this is going to go to the wire. Um, and then it just kind of, it kind of blew open in that last 30 uh, do you have any? What's your thinking on why that happened? How how was it such an arm wrestle, right up until that fiftieth minute, and then changed so dramatically? Yeah, it did. And you know, you look through. You know, you sort of bring that sort of historical perspective right through. You know, from the from the first test. You know, we probably you know had really good opportunities to win the game. And you know, obviously in the second test, you know, the, the Lions obviously had the opportunity to win the game at the end. Ended up one all going in. But look, well, I think we were we were weren't great from really from the kickoff. To be fair, and I think when you're in games there that are such hard fought and they're on the you know especially grand finals and stuff, you do see sides. We really weren't in the contest at all. Really from the start, we were just hanging in there, really all all the way through. And I think what you saw in the in the last thirty was accumulation of the work that the Lions mm-hmm. uh, had pumped into us and. What we'd done ourselves was just accumulation of that by the back end of it. Mm. Once they'd broken a little bit, it was very, very difficult to stem the tide. And I think, you know, you know, obviously we're beaten in, in all areas around the field, but once that set piece and once you start losing that uh, that tackle contest around, you're just sort of hanging on, hanging on. And I just think, you know, we lost our grip on it by the end of it and, you know, we were beaten by an over one side. They got more confident as the game went on, I think, 
watching early on, I think they were sort of they were probably a bit like us, you know, feeling out and see who's come to, you know, which which you shouldn't need to do, you shouldn't be doing, but what warning out and seeing who's going to step up and who's going to want it more, and they, you know, grew confidence from the start, three to seven to ten. Um, you know, the 13 gave them a lot of confidence and we sort of clawed our way back in but weren't really there and then uh, they just certainly kicked away with the pressure that they built up and that's, you see that a lot, it's an 80 minute game and we, we sort of hung in there for 50 but we weren't really close enough to be fair. Yeah, okay. Well listen mate, look, I really appreciate your time um, and, and having a good chat like this. Um, good luck for the season. I think everyone who watched the Rebels have, have over the last uh, season or two have just thought they can play some of the most sublime rugby. So if you can harness some of that, you'll be a happy man, I would have thought. No, absolutely, Matt. You know, there's a, there's a huge buzz down here. You know, you know, Rob Clark coming in as the CEO. We've got, a, you know, the staff are really keen. We're really, you know, pushing on our members to get uh, signed up. Players are really keen. And, you know, we're really looking forward to continue to build on the good work that's gone on before us. Good one. All right, mate. Well, hopefully maybe talk to you during the season. But thanks very much for coming on. Absolutely, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, right there, right there.